This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This, 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 Equity Mates goes to Wall Street. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you can Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Now, whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, while we are licensed, we are not aware of your financial circumstances. So any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes only. Any information is general. And if you have just joined us for the first time, a massive welcome. If you're getting up to speed with the basics, uh, we have a podcast called Get Started Investing that might be worth checking out out. But let's crack on. My name is Bryce and as always I'm joined by my sick almost lost his voice equity buddy Ren. How yeah, are you? I'm very good Bryce. How are you? <laughs> You're not sounding good. Uh, welcome to Love Song Dedication. <laughs> Hold on maybe. Yeah now's the time to get that podcast I, up and going. I'm just trying to match your deep voice. <laughs> it actually sounds quite good in the headphones. Well we could keep it going. No no we don't want to risk long-term damage. What's what's happened? A big US tour. Yeah, so this you, is my second day back in the office. Yeah, so you've just landed. You stuck around in the states for um, what an extra two and a half weeks or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. What did you do? Shout out to my sister uh, Kate, who graduated from Harvard. Uh, went and watched her graduation. Harvard Law. Harvard Law. Yeah, yeah unbelievable. Saw uh, Tom Hanks speak. Did you? And Michelle Yeoh. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Michelle Yeoh from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah. She was great. Uh, This is as part of the graduation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Harvard graduation is like a three-day affair. Oh, really? Not like it was at ANU where it's like a morning, you go get your certificate and then it's like see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's three days. Three days, yeah. Is it just – and is that just for that – cohort or is it like all subjects like it was just it's like it like builds up it's like the masters of law was day one then law school was day two then all of harvard was day three starting at like 6 a.m um and then then you go back to just law school and you get your certificate wow so like big thing tom hanks very American. Really? As in like, I love America. These are American values. We got to stand up for the constitution. Oh my goodness. And stand up against fake news because that's not American values. (laughs) Really? Wow. So everyone who wasn't from America was a bit like, 
you know, what the... Wow. But what do you expect, I guess? I know, I yeah. know. And you were saying that um, your sister had, like, what, two degrees of separation from Seth, billionaire Seth Klarman? Or, yeah, so... Or if, one degree? So Michael Klarman, Seth Klarman's brother, is a very notable, uh, like, I think, constitutional law professor, but he's at right. Harvard, and he was my sister's supervisor for her paper. Crazy. And so hopefully we can use that connection <laughs> to get Seth. Yes. For people who aren't familiar, Seth Klarman is uh, one of the best investors of his generation. He's called the, um, or, what is it, the Oracle of Boston or something, uh, as an homage to Warren Buffett's Oracle of Omaha. So, yeah. Yeah, he wrote one, uh, one of the f- very first books we read at the start of the Equity Mates journey. Yeah, I think... Margin and, of Safety. And Andrew Brown put us onto it. Yeah. The, yeah. Definitely the most expensive book we've read because yes. they did one print run of it and then he's refused to print it again. So if you go on Amazon, the secondhand copies sell for thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's nuts. You can there ask are, us for the PDF link if you like. <laughs> other places you might be able to find it, but we don't endorse that. <laughs> Now, Ren, um, so we're back in Oz, but we do have one final interview uh, today from our tour over in the US. And this one uh, does come from New York City, where we had an awesome time speaking to uh, many investors and catching up with some of our shareholders and uh, other people in the finance community. It was an epic time. So uh, our, our guest today is Joey Brookhart. Now, Joey uh, has gone out on his own and started his own fund um, very early on in, I think it's only six months since he first launched. So it was a pretty interesting story around uh, what it was like to go out on your own and mm. set up a fund. He's, he's pretty young and we kind of explore his investment process and uh, it's, a, it's a long short fund. So we're interested in how he approaches particularly the short side and there were some pretty interesting results even as we were recording some of his stocks. Yeah, you made like 40% on one position as we were talking. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, dude, you've actually just made a lot of money. He's like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Bryce, as we've been saying throughout this series, uh, this couldn't have happened without Milford. Mm. They uh, sponsored our US tour mm. and so we want to say a massive thank you and because my voice is going, I'm going to really defer to you for this ad read. <laughs> That's it, Ren. A huge shout out to Milford, who are a leading New Zealand fund manager, and they are now available for Australian investors and advisors. Milford's flexible active management strategies and high-performing, globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong long-term returns while managing downside risks. Milford's team also invest in the same funds as their clients, so you know that they're highly motivated because they're on the journey with you. So find the Milford funds on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. I didn't need to be here at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, without further ado, let's get to this interview with Joey Brookhart from Sandbrook Capital. Well, Joey, welcome to uh, Equity Mates. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, uh, as is tradition, we'll start with our Biz Nerdle Equity Mates daily business guessing game. You can play along at home, equitymates.com slash biznerdle. The way it works is five clues, up to five clues, I should say, with the idea that uh, you get it as soon as you can. Just before we started recording, you told us that you'd been getting it in one recently. Yeah, so the Lyft one last week. Nice. Um, Under Armour was on there, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Maybe Airbnb as well. Yes. yes. I think Chesky yeah. was a clue. 
So uh, we'll get stuck into it. Clue number one, I was founded in 2014 by Whitney Wolf Heard. Oh boy, I don't know that one. Okay. Uh, clue two, in heterosexual matches on my dating app, only female users can make the first contact with matched male users. Oh boy, I should have gotten Bumble then on the first clue, but um, I don't, yeah. I should follow the, the dating scene a bit more. <laughs> well, you've got, you've got it in two. Correct. Yeah. Bumble. Uh, so, yes, for those uh, unaware, Bumble, uh, the ticker BMBL, uh, Whitney Wolf Heard was previously at Twitter? No, no, no Tinder. Uh, Tinder. Sorry, yeah, Tinder. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then went out and founded Bumble. And now is a, she's a billionaire. Yeah, isn't billionaire. She? Yeah. Uh, they also launched uh, BFF, a feature for users to find platonic friendships. Without having ever used that feature, I don't think it would have worked. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. I mean, we, we're in New York. It would have been prime for us to try and use it while we were here. True. To meet some friends. True. Haven't even thought about using no. it. No. <laughs> so, Joey, let's just start with a bit about yourself. How did you come to uh, be in Sandbrook Capital and, and uh, to where you are today? Yeah, so I started um, kind of new in high school. I had, a, I had a job and I was working under in an unrelated to finance role for you know a hedge fund manager there. Um, really always liked you know numbers, like narratives and stories, um, and stock market is you know just a perfect place for that. Um, you know, love the fast moving nature. It'd be very tough for me, um, you know, to work at the same company or work in the same job, you know, doing something that's a little more routine. So, you know, the idea that something's always going on, you know, you can always have some sort of idea, some sort of thesis, you know, out there. Yeah, I knew I wanted to get into finance. Uh, knew I wanted to do that right away after college, which you know is a pretty untraditional path. Most people go two years of banking, two years of private equity, some other role, and then you know transition over to the public equity side. Um, so I had an opportunity right out of college to join a startup hedge fund. I did that for four years. You know, last year, you know, kind of knowing I always wanted to start you know a hedge fund. You know, I was looking for you know, a job at a bigger established shop. You know, to get some reps under my belt. You know, just using essentially a wider kind of range of resources. You know, so working on a startup fund, you don't have a ton of resources. You have to be pretty scrappy with things. So just wanted some reps using, you know, basically a wider tool set. You know, what ended up happening is, you know, markets have been pretty rough. You know, I cover a lot of technology, a lot of consumer, and um, just ended up being a pretty opportune time to launch a fund. Um, so my former boss, you know, was kind of the first investor and, you know, just took that opportunity kind of running with it. So launched that in December. Um, and it's been about six months now. What was like the tipping point, I guess, for you to feel like now's, now's the time? Was it literally just that you felt the market, it was a good time to start a fund or like you, would you, it was your age? Like what was the tipping yeah. point? I mean, yeah, so age is probably a little bit of a headwind, but yeah, it was just extremely good time to start a fund in the sectors I cover. So my, my personal investing philosophy, kind of what I look for, what I really enjoy researching um, is software, a lot of consumer, you know, more growth there, and then internet. And yeah, multiples in that sector, um, just kind of the divergence, you have different trends between, you know, I cover about 50 different software companies. You know, the fundamentals are, you know, there's some huge secular trends, but then there's some um, maybe a little bit more cyclical than people expect in some of these uh, industries. So it just ended up being a really opportune uh, time to do that. And 
if you get that opportunity, I knew I couldn't pass it up. Yeah. I think a lot of people listening, and I'll include myself in this, like the, the, the idea of being able to run, run a fund is like the dream. Mm-hmm. And you know, we speak to some fund managers who all they do is just quietly learn, be curious, think. It, it sounds like just a really nice life. I'm really curious as to like how pay, like the, the process of actually starting a fund, yeah. like going to institutions mm. or people with deep pockets and convincing them that you're someone that they can trust with your money when you don't have it with their money when you don't have a track record and stuff yeah. like that. Talk us through the process. Like, uh, yeah, take us into the room. Yeah. So you, I mean, you just start from a legal perspective, kind of knowing first, um, well, you first test kind of what you want to put out there. Because um, at the end of the day, this is a product. You're putting a return stream out there. It's an extremely competitive industry. Mm. You know, there's a really good passive option where someone can just buy the S&P 500. Mm. There are pension funds and institutions, you know, where it's one guy who sits back and they just own the S&P 500. Yeah. Mm. So you're going to work every day and hoping, you know, on some you know beta adjusted basis or depending on the different strategy, you have to go out there and put out a good product you know, in the field. So it came from that perspective. You know, some people, it's, you know, I'm going to run this fund how I would run my own money. You know, and I have a bit of that. You know, this is a total return-focused fund. We're out there trying to beat the S&P 500. You know, I'm running a 10% hurdle because you know, it's going to skew and you know, grow through your names. But just making sure from that perspective, because right now when you're a startup fund, you're typically not going to someone with, you know, that's going to write you a 20 or $50 million check. Especially at my age, you know, you're going to want to see three years of track record. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to see... You know, what ideas worked? You know, what didn't? You know, what's your thought process? What's your strategy? So from that perspective, in the early days, it's just put your head down and, you know, put a good product out there. So maybe, you know, maybe at some point we'll get, you know, I'll get to a point where, you know, the fundraising becomes, you know, a separate part of it. Um, But at the first... First, you know, few few years of just investing. Yeah, interesting. So let's move on to, uh, I guess, the underlying investment philosophy that you've you're going to build over the over the next sort of three years. How, how do you define your your investment philosophy? Yeah. So there's a few things I look at. At the end of the day, every active strategy is a value strategy. You know, people don't call it that, but you're buying something for less than you think it's worth. You know, and I'm looking at something. I, you know, for my core long positions. You know, I'm looking for something that's kind of a, in a base case, like a 20% you know, return per year, so IRR, and then some additional you know, optionality on top of that. So I call that kind of the plus portion. So I think about it you know, that way. I'm in a kind of sector coverage as well, so it's a lot of software, internet, and consumer. Because um, kind of where I think you know, value has gone, um, you know, it used to be you go look at a balance sheet or an income statement, and this is good value because it's low PE or low price to book. I'm looking in my coverage, you know, what I'm looking for is something where usually, you know, there's something inherent in the business model, the unit economics, um, the return on invested capital, um, that the market's wildly kind of misvaluing on some two to five year horizon. So that's going to be realized by the market. Your job now, just given your traditional value analysis can be done by a machine, is figure out what's the thesis, what's this company doing, where, you know, the machine or someone else is going to look at it in a few years. I'm going to realize, oh, the, the economics of this business are a lot um, better than expected. So, you know, in consumer and then especially in software, software is extremely modelable. So you can go in there. It's an extremely metric-driven business. And so you can go in and look at, okay, the cohort or this, you know, customer group, you know, just an underlying customer, they're doing something on the product side, you know, that's going to increase, you know, the ARR or, you know, the value of this customer on the top line by 20%. 
they're going to be able to sell this, or you know, they have a really good customer acquisition engine, and they're going to add on a product here, you know, at that customer acquisition engine, and the returns on a customer are going to go from you know a 15% return on invested capital to maybe 30%. Um, so I'll kind of walk you through you know, an example in Life360, which is ASX listed you know, in a second, but that's where a lot of it comes from. And then if you're doing a ton of deep work and a lot of you know, wide sector work you know, throughout consumer internet and software, you know, it ends up lending yourself um, to find some interesting opportunities in the short term as well. Um, so a good like active management, you know, especially hedge fund, if you're doing that detailed level analysis, you're gonna find some really good shorts. So you know, I really only look at shorter term stuff, which I call an opportunistic long, which is something where the catalyst is in three to 12 months. Um, the return bar is a little higher than 20% there annualized. But some big question that the market's looking at is gonna be answered you know, in that, and there's gonna be a pretty good, you know, typically re-rate of that company. And you know, your numbers are gonna come in pretty you know, far ahead of you know, street or buy side consensus which is you know, really what matters. And then shorts are the same thing. I'm, you know, there I'm looking for something that's really you know, a quarter to two quarters away. There's some thesis there where they're gonna miss, you know, there's some catalysts where people are gonna look at this after the numbers come out and realize, okay, this is lower quality or there's a different trajectory of the business going forward. And then you're looking at it, there has to, you know, short, shorting is extremely tough. So you have to have very good risk reward. You have to have a clear catalyst. You have something that's in the numbers. Um, and you can't be short because it's on valuation. You know, there's you have to have really good risk management process in the shorting. So nothing's over three percent of the book. You know, I don't short stuff that's highly shorted at all. Um, so under fifteen percent kind of short interest. And then there's certain stocks that are just um, kind of cult you know stocks or really really passionate you know debates on both sides. So you know bulls might say this is the next you know Amazon and the bears are like oh this thing's you know a fraud or something. It would be great to talk through some examples of each and also talk through how you construct a portfolio uh, within those three different categories. Yeah. So I'll say when I'm doing my work on a everything's kind of done from the perspective of a core long or the work is the same across. Um, so the biggest thing I think you know, that's really important is the business analysis needs to be completely separate to kind of the return framing. Um, so if you and I are going to go look at you know, a company, we're going to run through you know, the 10Ks, the transcripts, ton of sell-side research, talk to people within the industry. We're going to do that work, and that's completely separate. So I've kind of, you know, you distill that down to kind of the key debates. You know, how should we think about this? You know, what really matters? You know, there's really only two to three things that probably drive you know, the returns both short-term and long-term for any company. So you're really trying to figure out what those are, you know, and get a view on that. And that's completely, you know, separate. You're just looking, it's not, is this a good business? It's what drives this business? What drives the top line? What drives the cost structure? What's ultimately going to drive, you know, free cash flow margins um, and the sustainability, you know, what kind of the quality or, you know, quote-unquote mode around that business is. Then from that perspective, you're going to do kind of the return framing. So my core longs, that's usually like a five-year kind of IRR out there. So that's in the next you know, 12 months, here's our you know, operating cases. So it might be a bear case. The economy does, you know, you know, right now these range of outcomes are pretty wide. So you know, if unemployment you know, skyrockets here in the U.S. or something, or not skyrockets, but you know, consumer starts getting um, a little tighter with their wallet, you know, what's going to happen to results, what's going to happen to earnings, you know, revenue, um, and then what's going to happen, you know, to multiples, you know, obviously. So try to figure out what, you know, moves the stock. And everything's competing because you, know, you ideally want something that looks good on that, you know, in your core longs, 
because I, you know, I want a portfolio that's kind of 70% core longs, 30% um, opportunistic longs, and then 30% catalyst based shorts. All right, Bryce, let's take a break there. I need to get a glass of water for this voice. While I'm doing that, why don't you give uh, uh, Milford a shout out? All right, Ren, we're going to take a quick break. And we must say a massive thank you to Milford who are sponsoring the US tour and offer offensive and defensive strategies. You can check out Milford's award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. Utilising the skills of Milford's experienced investment team, the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund has been focusing on delivering a smoother journey for investors for over half a decade. With an emphasis on managing risk and generating absolute returns, this lower volatility equity fund can play a key role in a diversified portfolio. The fund strives for long-term capital growth while mitigating the ups and downs typically experienced when investing in share markets. So find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. The ticker symbol is MFOA on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And remember, before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. 
going to be phone protection. And just some of this other, you know, they found a way to use this really cheap customer acquisition channel and, you know, great installed base of, you know, families here in the U.S., you basically to upsell a product where, you know, it was clear that the returns on these, um, as customers kind of transitioned over, and then as they kind of paid to acquire new customers at this really low rate, that the value of one of those, you know, subscribers probably, you know, three times, you know, what it was, you know, prior to that. The company's U.S.-based, and they talked a little bit um, about listing on the NASDAQ. And in Australia, you know, the company at the time was basically break-even. If you go to Australia or any other kind of, you know, even some of the European markets, on the small cap side, people do not like unprofitable companies. Mm-hmm. Versus in the U.S., you know, people are happy to pay 25 times sales for, you know, a software company that burns cash and issues a lot of stock to employees and, you know, dilutes their shareholders. You know, it's something where, you know, it's good for a, you know, 10, 15% bounce kind of after the quarter, you know, coming right before and exit afterwards. And, you know, that's just from having having done work on the name before and being able to find those things every quarter. So you thought Figs was going to beat uh, and you took a, you went opportunistically long. Yeah. Was it, were you right? Yeah. Um, so the company, you know, it ended up being not as big of a beat as I thought. So I think Street was at $112 million for revenue and ended up coming in, you know, 120 low 120 um, You know, they also beat on margins, you know, by quite a bit. Gross margins were about 4% higher than people expected. Um, that flew th- flow through um, on EBITDA was about, you know, $16 million EBITDA versus, you know, 10. Well, let's get to your shorts because I'm interested to uh, hear some of the names uh, that that you're shorting, uh, the ones that you, you could share, I guess, or if you don't want to share any current shorts, ones that you have shorted in the past. What are, what are some of the names um, in, in that side of the portfolio? Yeah, I'll walk through, um, you know, Sonos is pretty interesting. You know, to me, this was, you know, they actually reported last night, done a ton of work on it, was actually long yet, um, kind of in late 2020, you know, under this kind of framework, you know, it is a hardware company, but the hardware is a little stickier than you would think. So, you know, about a little over 40% of, you know, the products they sell per year go to existing households. I actually hate Sonos. Really? Yeah. Why do you hate it? Because you have to use the Sonos app to play. Like if you go to a house... You can't use Spotify. You can't plug up. You know, you can use, uh, you have to... It's not as just like a Bluetooth connection bang, like a JBL or something. Right. The connection is not as easy as it should be. Okay. It's frustrating. So there you go. There you go. Add that to your short thesis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you can use it from here in the US from like Spotify. um, Yeah, but don't you still need the app to connect? Yeah, I think here in the US you do. So I have like, I hold it. It works really well in a, um, you know, the more you kind of add. So a lot of like their big thing during the pandemic, um, there were a few kind of tailwinds. You know, so obviously people are at home. There was a lot of margin stuff and a lot of some of these you know, stuff that's manufactured in China back in 2018, 2019, you're dealing with a lot of margin compression because of tariffs, um, so Trump's tariffs. Um, so they were dealing with that still in 2019. Uh, but then you also had obviously all the supply chain stuff. So getting components. So they were always, I mean, just hugely, hugely backward. It might be like every product's like a six-week wait online. People are trapped at home. They're doing work on their home. So they're going to come in. Um, you know, Sonos was partly sold through like Best Buy, which is an electronics retailer here in the U.S., and then through an installer channel, so professional that comes in and actually um, will use one of their kind of product that basically makes everything you available to you on your phone to control different groups. Even if you're not like using a Sonos speaker on that, you can plug in stuff that's built into your home. So the thesis was, you know, people are actually undervaluing 
you know, just that customer relationship there at Sonos. Um, they have a decent product engine. Um, you have some good tailwinds, obviously, during COVID. You have people being at home. You know, and then, two, the average selling price, what they're selling during COVID was a lot of, like, home theater stuff. And then this installer channel, which are, like, you know, $700, $800 products for them versus, you know, some of their other, you know, stuff. You know, and this is kind of to the short thesis. You know, it's a little bit transitioned over as they try to basically broaden out the offering to, you know, they've been introducing some lower price products. So that's kind of a headwind to the mix. You had last year, you know, they were basically refilling, because you, know, you couldn't get this stuff during COVID. Um, they were refilling a lot of like, you know, Best Buy's, you know, inventory of it or the installer channel. So if you looked at Sonos and kind of modeled it um, on where kind of the units were, you know, because they, they break this out, like what's our difference between speakers, you know, these system products, which are the installer stuff that would control you know, everything on the Wi-Fi um, and through your app, just control all your different speaker zones. Um, and then they have some you know, other revenue that's like Ikea. You know, if you did kind of the modeling work and kind of backed out what, you know, they give a unit number just total company-wide, what they sell, you can kind of guess, because you know, the prices on the system side don't change at all. You know, the mix there is basically you know, $700 product that's sold out there. You could go model the units back and it was you know, just extremely, extremely clear that it was gonna normalize. And these like these COVID normalization stories aren't new, but you know, they show up in different sectors at different you know times, essentially. So right now it was waiting, you know, Q1, I was like, you know, Q2, the street was at 380 for revenue. It's like, you know, this is gonna look like a little more, you know, it's gonna look like normal seasonality. If you look back at 2018, 2019, you know, given the compression they have is you know, they launched the room, which is um, you know, they launched this move or not move speaker, but uh, the beam, which is kind of the lower priced, you know, sound bar. You know, it's just clear that there's going to be just a massive miss here. And the stock actually didn't react negatively. You know, they basically guided to 305 million in revenue in Q2 versus, you know, street at 380 back when they you know, announced their Q1 results. And, and they beat Q1 pretty sizably, but they kept the full year guide the same. And then finally last night, they took down um, the full year guide, you know, quite sizably by you know, eight percent-ish. I've just looked up how they opened today as we record, and they're down 23%. Yeah, I mean, it's... So you've made some money today. <laughs> yeah, and the thing, too, is when you get on the catalyst side, you know, you, you want to be very different on the number, you know, on the short side and then on the opportunity. If you're doing something short-term, you need a catalyst. You can't short off valuation. But then when you get a number right on one side or the other, there is a momentum factor and a kind of a narrative factor that enters. Um, so, like, a big thing was... Or, you know, with Sonos, you know, it's going to go back to kind of the pre-COVID thesis that this is, you know, a hardware manufacturer. They compete exclusively with big tech, you know, so as the numbers actually trend in one way, that's where the narrative goes as well, what, you know, which makes for some great stuff. Like if you look at, you know, Meta, right, when you get the IDFA side with Apple, you know, that's hurting ad revenue, you get the TikTok competition. Is there any terminal value, you know, in this company? And then they go out and you, you look at like the Reels data versus you know, the TikTok app data. And then they come you know, out with you know, on the ad side. Um, you, know, you have conversions API you know, and some you know, tailwinds. You have maybe a little bit of a flight to quality with an ad spend. If you can catch those things in the catalyst you know, side and then you know, the narrative um, is working for you too, uh, these moves can be very, very powerful. Well, Joe, we are running out of time. So uh, you mentioned at the top that... Um, you know, as a smaller fund, you have to be a little bit scrappy when it comes yeah. to 
the resources that you use, it, particularly against the, the bigger funds that are out there. So uh, for those budding uh, fund managers at home and for Ren and I, what are some of the key resources that you use in your investment process that we could go back and, and use in ours? Yeah, so unfortunately there's some stuff I do invest <laughs> You know, personally fund a lot of research budgets to get somewhat competitive with a lot of larger funds you know, from the data perspective. The biggest thing, uh, Twitter is a huge help. There's a lot of, uh, you'd be shocked at some of the people you know, on Twitter if you search up a ticker. If you knew kind of who was behind that account, you'd be pretty shocked. You know, we've mentioned on Reddit security analysis before. That's a great place to read letters. You know, if you're US-based and you get like a brokerage account for, uh, you know, a lot of these things are no minimums, you, know, you can get you know, J.P. Morgan Research, Morgan Stanley Research, Bank of America Research, you know, for nothing. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of these sell-side reports have, you know, they might consolidate some data source or something and do some edge there. Um, I mean, but the biggest thing, though, is you can find everything you need, the company documents, um, so the 10Ks, investor presentations, you know, the transcripts. I mean, that's 90% of <laughs> what gets done on a name like, or, like, the info you need you know, maybe 80, you know, 80% gets done just from reading those documents, you know, going back, putting the story together, figuring out what drives that company, you know, what matters for it, um, what matters for that industry, you know, and then going into, I know there's some, you know, really cheap, um, you know, stuff that helps with like downloading data to Excel. So I think something called Y Sheets, I use, I use a professional, I pay, you know, a bit of money for, you know, my version of that, but you can find, you know, these resources easy if you just, you know, go search. So, but biggest thing is, you know, you can get 80% of the way there just reading the filings and doing, you know, digging in like that, you know, and trying to figure out that way. Nice. Twitter is one that is often mentioned. So if you're, if you're not on it, uh, you can get on there. The cash tags is what, uh, is it cash tag that you use? Yeah, to, with the dollar yeah, sign. Yeah, with the yeah. dollar sign. And then you search the ticker. Yeah. And uh, it'll bring up all the conversations around the stock. Now, Joey, before we do go, there's one final question. Um, each year, the Equity Mates community uh, vote on their favorite investor, as uh, expert investor, as part of the Equity Mates Awards. It's an opportunity for our community to uh, vote for an expert that they feel has really contributed to their investing journey. And uh, by, by the nature of coming on the show, you are automatically in the running to win it. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> help them with their decision at the end of the year. Uh, if you were to win and we send across the beautiful glass trophy, uh, where would you put it? Well, I'd go to my office. Um, <laughs> you know, my office is probably like eight by 10 feet. There's no window in there. Um, <laughs> so it would just sit, there's a you know, bookshelf that a printer sits on top of and <laughs> nice. it, would, it would go right there. So there's, that, that's about all the room. I, I'm not even office is so small, I'm not sure it fits. <laughs> fair call, fair call. Well, uh, Joey, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us today here in the States. Um, we'll include a, uh, a link to the, the letters and uh, uh, in, the sh in the show notes. Uh, if anyone wants to keep up with what you're doing, is there a best place for them to do so? Yeah, um, I don't use my Twitter account that much, but there's, you know, the letters do end up out there um, on, you know, Reddit or you know, my Twitter and then my emails at the bottom of every letter if someone wants to, you know, talk a stock or... <laughs> nice, nice. All right, well, we'll include uh, those details in the show notes as well. But Joey, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Joey. Well, Ren, that brings us to the end of our US tour. It was an epic experience. 
Yeah. We'll, we'll be back on Thursday with a mentored episode and uh, a bit of a recap on what's been going on in markets because there has been plenty happening. But uh, it was just a, a great experience to sort of go over and see Warren and Charlie and and uh, experience the Berkshire a- AGM and then uh, head across to New York and uh, get the opportunity to speak some to some investors over there. So... We'll we'll, uh, we'll wrap it there, but again, a huge thank you to Milford who have been able to give us the opportunity to get over to America and do some awesome content. Uh, They are a leading New Zealand fund manager now available for Australian investors and advisors. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. So you can strive for a smoother investing journey with Milford's experienced active management and their award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. The ticker symbol is MFOA. So find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund and other Milford funds on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. A massive thank you to them. It was an epic trip. Hopefully the two, uh, Warren and Charlie, last through to next year and we might be able to get it back up again. But, Ren, we'll uh, we'll pick it up back here in Oz with uh, a market wrap and mentored next week. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 5406. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.